The year is 1969. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. My Marvelous Year, comic book reading club where we cover all the best Marvel comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book newbie, and alongside Dave, the comic book psycho man, spreading fear, doubt, and hate through the comic book podcast world. <laughs> oh man, what a what a controversial pod we've got. Well, here. I'm look, I'm like, we're, I can see your webcam, and right behind you, there's that giant three foot box with those three buttons on it. That's right. I you, should stop carrying that around with me if I want to be a little less abrasive towards those that I encounter. <laughs> uh, yep. So we're talking about the back half of 1969 here. We're going to start out with a bunch of Captain America, which is a very good, and then move into some Captain Marvel and Avengers, which is not so good. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love these cap stories. So let's start there because, yeah. you know, it's we you know, we're this is the last half of the 60s that we're going to be talking about. I, this is kind of a big one. Um, we're wrapping the decade. And I think what our plan here is, is the My Marvelous Year Club. We're going to do kind of a 60s decade recap, mm-hmm. talk about yep. some questions, talk about some feedback that you all have. Um, and kind of our thoughts on the decade as a whole before we jump into the 70s. And I got to tell you, I'm really excited to get to the 70s. Like the Silver Age is is pretty well defined as far as what's available. But since yeah. the last time I did the My Marvelous Year Club, which is, you know, three, four years ago now, um, when I created it, they've added a lot of 70s material to the Marvel Unlimited catalog. So I'm yeah. actually pretty excited yeah. to explore like what's new and what's unique. But before yeah. we get there, we're going to finish up 69. If you have if you have feedback for 1969 or just the 60s in general, so if you have anything for the entire decade for our next week's variant cover, please get that into us by tomorrow. So um, yes, please. Yeah, I just want to say before we get going with the comics, thank you so much to all of our wonderful patrons, and we love every one of you like family. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, Dave had nothing. <laughs> no, you guys are awesome. Thank you. All right, let's get into it. First issue. Tell them you love them. I'm not there yet. We can (laughs) come to these things at our own pace. Okay. Yeah, it should be organic. Uh, Captain America number 115. We're just going to be talking about 115 through 119. That's right. We we can kind of treat this as one big big story, I think, because it is one big story. Um, In in the context for this, you should just read 114 uh, if you haven't. Like, um, it. Bridges 113, where Captain America comes back and reasserts his secret identity. And not a ton of plot happens, but it's just Captain America grappling with, like, being alone in this time era and having a secret identity, which is pretty interesting. And then the big reveal at the end of the the issue is, I think he gets a hotel room and (laughs) he turns around and the Red Skull is standing there with the Cosmic Cube. And that's how this one picks up in 115. So 115, it starts off, basically, the Skull's back. He's got a cosmic cube and he is trying to break Captain America, right? Mm-hmm. He just wants him to go mad. 
And he's essentially transporting Cap to all these weird sort of Doctor Strange-style dimensions. It's um, way more intense than what he did with the cube before. He's torturing him. I mean, is yeah. the is the goal, and he's he's mad too. He, he's way more creative, you know, madder than usual. Like, and we've talked about the skull as the most evil Marvel supervillain, and mm-hmm. it's you take that and pit him now against his arch nemesis who defeated him in sort of humiliating fashion. And his goal is not to kill Cap. Like, he, that is too easy. You know, he, he just wants to drive him mad. Frustratingly, it's not. At some point, it just... It's a trope, but it's also, it kind of makes sense with the skull, I think. Yeah. I, this first issue, I think this, this first one of this arc is the strongest, because it really shows him just playing with Captain America. Like, he covers him in these small little alien creatures that are attacking him. And then he lets Captain America think that he defeated him. He, like, lets Cap beat himself up and then he like poofs out of nowhere and he wasn't there it was just like a shadow self yeah and then he he puts him in a little bottle (laughs) and then the red skull is hovering over him like a hundred feet tall like satan in hell there's like flames riding up while captain america's falling and screaming he takes him to the edge of the universe and makes him look at this like horrible like lovecraftian azathoth creature this like unknowable tentacle creature that is trying to just drive Captain America insane. And it's mm-hmm. great. Like, it feels pretty villainous. And you, and you do get the sense that Cap is feeling the weight of all this. You know, it's not like he's just like, <laughs> oh, um, you know, like, no big deal. Um, yeah, I've been in a bottle before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's also like, he's got the resolve and the will to not let it break him. And it, mm-hmm. Skull's trying to drive him mad, but Cap's refusal <laughs> to allow it to work uh, is actually driving the skull matter and matter, um, yeah. you know, quite literally. So ultimately, this drives the skull to the final switch where he says, all right, fine, none of that worked. Here's what I'm going to do instead. And he pulls the old switcheroo, the old mm-hmm. Friday, and he puts his consciousness inside the body of Captain America, Steve Rogers, puts the consciousness of Steve Rogers inside that of the red skull. And we have ourselves the Skull's idea of his most um, effective defeat, which we've seen also Victor Von Doom try to do to Reed Richards in early Mm -hmm. Fantastic Four. And that is to basically make the world think that he is actually the villainous Red Skull. And he does this just as Sharon Carter walks in uh, so that (laughs) Captain America in the Red Skull's body has to watch the Red Skull walk away with his arm wrapped around his best gal, Sharon Carter. That's right. Yep. And uh, so cap number 116 opens with skull cap transports cap skull to the city. So Steve Rogers inside the skull uh, and basically the police are after him because they know the red skull is loose and everyone's hunting for him. So we get an issue of essentially the police and the Avengers all seeking to capture the red skull, but not realizing that it's now actually the mind of Captain. America this is, this is all there. really good. Like Steve Rogers just is desperate. Right, you can like you feel the desperation that he doesn't have any idea how he's going to get out of this. He's desperate to convince someone that he's actually Captain America. He goes to the Avengers to try to try to win, you know, uh, convince them that he's trapped in this body, and they're not having it. They beat him up and tie him up, and then at that point, uh, the Red Skull in Cap's body re- sees what's happening because he's kind of watching everything from a distance, and he transports him to the Red Skull's private island. Yeah. Which is like off the coast of Florida or something. It's in the Caribbean, I think. Um, where the exiles are. And let's talk about the exiles for a second. These are the Red <laughs> Skull's lackeys. Yeah. Um, 
And they, like, they're a bunch of Nazi they're, lackeys. Right, who are exiled from Nazi Germany. And they are the weirdest group. I, I mean, they kind of just all look like old men soldiers. But there's a, one guy's in a wheelchair that shoots like a wheelchair blasts. of death. <laughs> yeah, his wheelchair. When his wheelchair like started firing power beams, that really cracked me up. Jack there's Kirby's very good at chairs. Oh, this isn't Kirby. Excuse me. Um, oh, no, this is uh, this is Gene Colan. Yeah, we should mention. So the majority of the story here is Stanley, Gene Colan. One, one Josephine is not Inks, Gene Colan. Sam Rosa. But, um, 115 is someone else, I think. But yeah, it's mostly Gene Colan. But yeah, no. So the exiles are, they're this group of ex-Nazi lackeys. They all actually hate the Red Skull because mm-hmm. he betrayed them. Um, yep. So Skull, his, his gambit here is... You know, he tried to get Cap taken out by the police and the Avengers. That didn't quite work. Um, so now he's going to send Steve Rogers' consciousness in his skull body to the Island of Exiles, knowing the Exiles want to kill him. Um, so it's a <laughs> it's a weird twist. Yeah, uh, it, but basically it he they, sends they, him somewhere. They set it up well enough and they explain it well enough that it doesn't feel. Yeah. No, it totally works. And one call out before we get to the island is that uh, there's kind of an important moment in 116 where the skull, his consciousness masquerading as Captain America, he meets up with Rick Jones, who's wearing mm-hmm. his Bucky costume around <laughs> like it's nothing God. <laughs> these days. Rick Jones in like in these issues and Captain Marvel coming up is mm-hmm. just like the best character that I, I feel like they couldn't have written him more like you just wanted to punch this kid in the face. Like but He's if very they were pitiful. trying to if they were trying to make it just like, oh, man, I want to kick that kid, they couldn't have done it better, like, if that was the intention. Yeah, yeah. He's very pitiful, very whiny, and he's wearing the costume of a deceased <laughs> sidekick. And uh, basically, the Red Skull, though, he is in Cap's body, is a jerk to Rick. Like, he's real mean to this whiny teenager. Yeah. And, I can't even uh, remember. He's just like, I don't have time for you, kid. And yeah. then Rick Jones is like... <gasps> Well, great, you'll never have to see me again. Immediately just starts, like, running down the alley crying. And then yes. spends five issues just Sobbing. complaining about this. It's, it's right. so funny. You know what the best part about this is? Is in this issue, the Red Skull just, like, says something kind of mean to him. Uh-huh. But, you know, it's not even that mean. I don't remember what the it is. The Skull's been meaner, like, I, I would say, yeah. Yeah, and the the funny thing is, like... You could even buy if Captain America was just having a bad day, he might just kind of get snippy and say this mm-hmm. to Rick Jones. So it's not even like <laughs> super cruel. It's just like, what do I want you around for, kid? Yeah. It's just like, yeah, this could have just been Captain America having a bad day. My yeah, favorite for part, sure. though, is uh, pretty soon we're going to read Captain Marvel 17. And in that, they talk about how he's not working with Captain America anymore. And Rick Jones thinks back to this moment. And when Rick Jones is reminiscing about this, he remembers that Captain America backhanded him and slapped him across the face, which didn't mm. happen here, <laughs> which I think is a little like, I don't know how intentional that was, but like in Rick Jones' mind, he, you know, he was beaten and left for dead in this alley by Captain America. <laughs> That's a really interesting call out. I'm, I'm going to guess that is accidental. So, you know, kind of just so not too, an intentional but... reflection of his, his own yeah. version of events, but I like that interpretation it's um, so because funny. in Rick's mind, this was like Captain America screaming at him and beating him. Yeah. Uh, it, which when is it really not was actually what like... happened here, even though it was the skull who would do all of those things. And then in the next issue, we've got Rick Jones just sitting on his bed, tearing up a photo of Captain America saying, maybe we'll get together someday just for laughs, but don't hold your breath waiting. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a lot like uh, early days sobbing. Uh, Peter Parker, Susan Storm, kind of those young romance style things. Um, and he's written like a young boy uh, mm-hmm. with with very uh, very flighty emotions. Um, mm-hmm. it's you know, he, he reacts strongly emotionally. But yeah, so all that sets up Cap one seventeen to one nineteen, which is the introduction of the Falcon. Oh, I thought you were going to say the introduction of that man who fights with a scarf, which is clearly the sorry <laughs> priority order. There's a man yep. who fights with a scarf. He we call him Scarfman, and he is followed <laughs> by the Falcon. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, one of the exile whole thing is he fights with scarves. Anyway, yes. So the Falcon. This surprised me. So Sam Wilson, the Falcon, comes in, which it's like they're on a Caribbean island, and then Red Skull is fighting the exiles, and all of a sudden, an actual Falcon comes in and starts mixing things up and distracting the exiles, helping out the Red Skull. And we later find out this is Sam Wilson. Well, and uh, just to back it up there even, so Cap's gambit here in fighting the exiles is they come to attack him, and he's kind of trying to figure Cap in Skull's body. And he makes the the point that, wait a minute, I'm wearing a mask, <laughs> yeah, this, this red skull mask, which is something you had asked about. And he says yeah, no yeah, one yeah. actually knows what he actually looks like. So Falcon doesn't come to help the red skull so much as he comes to help the man, man who has taken who, yeah. off the skull's mask, the actual right. visage of Johann Schmidt with Steve Rogers' consciousness inside. Okay, no, no, it's not even the Red Skull's face because they make a point of not showing what the Red Skull looks like under his mask because he pulls off the mask and immediately like turns away from the camera and mm-hmm. he's like, well, I must disguise my face with some mud. So mm. they don't actually show what the Red Skull looks like. But so to, so to Sam, it just looks like, you know, a civilian, like an innocent kind of guy being attacked by these exiles, right? Right. That, I mean, it's so funny, though, because Captain America, he's he's slathering mud on his face to disguise himself, but he doesn't come up looking muddy. He's like an expert of disguise. So he comes up looking like a different man, even though yeah. it's just some mud on his face, you know? Oh, that's pretty classic military training. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot how you can. The best detail is I think Captain America says something like, oh, I hope I didn't make it look too much like myself. <laughs> Right, like he's right. He's, he's so gonna, used like, to putting I mud on his face make, to make a second face. I accidentally made a Steve Rogers mask. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he is yeah. quite the artist, as we'll come to learn. So I know that's oh, not. Yeah, I'm excited about that. But yeah, no. Uh, so Sam Wilson shows up to help Cap fight these exiles. Um, mm-hmm. It's a. It like you said, like he shows up on this Caribbean island, but then he identifies as an individual from Harlem, New York. Um, so there I is sort Captain of that says, you sound more like Harlem than Haiti. Yeah, right, right. Um, there's a really cool, so they, they meet up and they kind of team and Sam explains how he's here, uh, helping the locals kind of keep the exiles from taking them over and their kind of cruel reign and Captain America consciousness inside the body of Johann mm-hmm. Schmidt trains Sam Wilson to prepare for an exiles fight. And this is right. kind of a cool important moment in Marvel history because here you get Captain America training Falcon and they're working together for the first time as partners to go on and take on the exiles. And meanwhile, through all this, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's like, I mean, this, this will be, you know, the, the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Um, meanwhile, Red Skull in Captain America's body is just going on like <laughs> a publicity tour through New York city, yeah. which is really fun and funny. Mm-hmm. to a point for me um like he wants to go around and besmirch captain america's good name right he wants captain america to just die in disgrace because he's gonna go around and 
you know, <clears throat> drag his name through the mud and do all kinds of horrible things. The worst thing he does is he's a little mean to Rick Jones. That's well, he is he mean to fans as well. He's um, not even really mean to them. He kind of like well, he revels in their attention, right? And yeah, but their worst interest, people are like, but then he does ultimately call off the photo shoot. <laughs> after after giving his time for a substantial period of time, what, yeah, what I don't know why it's that man. Mean. Yeah, yeah, it's strange because like, okay, so he takes a taxi to the most expensive hotel in town, and he gets out of the taxi, and he's, it's just, it's kind of strange characterization. You think the Red Skull would just like lean into this and be nasty and evil, but instead he uh, he gets out of the cab and he just tells the guy, "I have no money, but if you gave me your name and address, I'll send you some." And then the guy's like, oh, don't worry, you're Captain America. You get a ride for free. Yeah. But, like, why would the Red Skull, like, even be aware that, like, oh, let, let me get your, your info. I'll, I'll send you a check later on. Like, the, the fact that he even goes through these motions is very strange to me. You yeah. know, like, I feel like he should just rip the door off and, like, start shoving people out of the way. I mean. Causing he, this big ruckus, right? Yes like, and no, because he's not. The Skull's he, not just like a, he's not just like a rampaging Hulk. You know, like yeah, he does know, but he sort of to, have to blend he's not even into rude to society. He's actually very polite. <laughs> that's, that's the, the weird part is like he doesn't go around just trying to ruin his name. He's just another example of this is he's in his hotel room and a bunch of fans are bursting to come up to his room mm-hmm. and they're running down the hallway and there's this big group of fans and he's like, ha, this this will do it. I'll I'll ruin Captain America's name by attacking them all. I'll blast them all back with the cosmic cube as soon as they walk in the door. And then he gets ready, and then he's like, ah, I can't deal with this. And then he zaps himself out of the room. You yeah. Know, like it, and it feels like Stanley. This is Stanley, right? Yeah. Yep. It just feels like Stanley is afraid to actually make him follow through on any of this, right? Like, he doesn't want to deal with the consequences of Captain America's name getting sullied at all. So it just is like three issues of the Red Skull talking about how he's going to do it, and then never actually doing anything. Like, he never. Fundamental. The only thing he does that has any long-lasting effect is he's a little mean to Rick Jones. Right. Right. Well, and transporting Cap because it would be fun if after he's defeated, Captain America has to deal with the repercussions of the red, the Red Skull ruining his public perception and relationships. And it's less fun than you'd think. That's all I'll say. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a good point. I know about what's yeah. like what Tennessee Coates is dealing with right now. Like yeah. Um, so the, the other thing going on in these issues that is important is oh, AIM God. is uh, designing Awful. a cosmic sphere to mm-hmm. combat the the fact that there's a red skull. Modok has returned and he is leading mm-hmm. AIM to basically there's like the cosmic cubes are deal. No one else gets it. And uh, we're going to we're going to take it back by building a new one. So as they're doing that, Cap and Falcon attack the exiles. They inspire the islanders to rebel against them as well and that yep. drives us all to the final issue of the story which is called now falls now falls the skull it's captain america number 119 and uh the skull decides seeing the exiles defeated that it's time to finally do it himself so he travels to exile island to fight captain america and the falcon yeah and um we get another red skull kind of toying with captain america and the falcon fight and like weirdly enough because captain america doesn't have a shield he looks like a different person, right? Because the Red Skull swapped with him. But the Red Skull switches back to his body, and then he zaps Captain America back into his body and gives him his shield back, which is like... <sighs> There's part of me that feels like the Red Skull has that uh, 
You know, it's like a bad serial killer movie where he's just leaving clues because he wants to get caught. It's like he yeah. doesn't actually want to win. Is it just like, if you really want... The Cosmic Cube is shown to be, like, as powerful as Thanos' gauntlet. Like, he can swap bodies. He can zap himself or other people to the edge of the universe and back in a, a heartbeat. It's a wishing machine at this point, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's just like, don't just kind of, like, get snippy with Rick Jones. Vaporize him. That's what I would have done. Me, Zach, would have vaporized Rick Jones. Wow, but, Rick Jones yeah. hater. Coming God, out. awful. Um, but, like... Yeah, I don't know if it's lack of creativity or... <laughs> well, like, I, I think it's doesn't... lack of commitment to such a dramatic ending, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, I mean... It's all, the little, it's all the little things you do to keep the story going. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> if you have the villain with the ultimate weapon and they use it, ultimately, your story's done. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I know. In this, in this era, But then especially. you just don't, you know, you, you either don't give them something like that so that I'm not just like, well, why doesn't he just kill them? Like, or just really... Okay, the, so the, what was really frustrating is I, I just liked this whole story. Like, I thought it built up really well. Mm-hmm. And we get this final showdown, and Captain's like, distract him. And the Falcon just runs at him, runs yeah. at the Red Skull. And Captain's like, ah, perfect, a distraction. And throws his shield and knocks the cube out of his hand. Like, that the Red Skull is just that, like, just that he can have it just knocked out of his hand is absurd and feels just totally contrived and... It's kind of a big cube, and his hands aren't that big. Okay, you know what? That is a really fair point. Like, have you ever have you ever tried to palm a basketball? (laughs) Like, for I imagine I don't know the size of your hands. I don't. We haven't done a comparison on the podcast before. But if you can not easily palm a basketball, but kind of, and you're holding it, it's hard, Mm -hmm. right? It takes a lot of finger strength. Mm -hmm. That's what the skull's been doing for days. Damn, (laughs) I didn't take any of that into account. Think how tired his hand is. Plus. You get a guy running at you, and let's mm-hmm. face it, Skull had recently imprisoned his bird, so this mm-hmm. guy's mad, mm-hmm. I yeah. think, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and and also, like, listen, Skull's done a lot of evil things. His first act of vengeance, imprisoning that Red Wing Falcon, too far. Too far, <laughs> Yohan. Yeah, no, I yeah, hear what you're just... saying. I mean, you have to create a scenario where you can knock the ultimate weapon out of someone's hand is kind yeah. of a difficult battle. We talked about it the first time we talked about the cube yeah. and kind of the relation it has to like Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet and what everybody's seen in uh, in Avengers Infinity War now. Um, you know, it's just a year old at this point. Um, you That whole scene where they're trying to get it off his hand is mm-hmm. like inherently silly, you know? I, no, see, because I at least bought that because at that point he wasn't all powerful and it really was just like every, you know, eight people confusing him from all directions and whatever like that felt somewhat viable that they were close to doing that but Mm -hmm. anyway it it just it also i think it's that the arc of this story if you if you plot this out the red skulls like evil levels would peak in the first issue and it would be so evil and he's doing such like crazy evil stuff and then it just slowly drops down to this issue where it's like he's totally impotent and well that's definitely something we've seen with dr doom it, as it well, feels like the Doctor like when Doom he steals Silver the power cosmic from yeah. the Silver Surfer. It's exactly he does that the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. yeah, and and it just feels like plot mechanics where it's just like, well, we can't just have him win, duh. So yeah, they just kind of make him spin his wheels for a while, which I, I liked the spinning of his wheels as you know that he was just going to destroy Captain America's good name. But um, I think it's that uh, thing where they they haven't cracked that egg yet. They haven't yeah. cracked that that storytelling 
idea egg, the story of egg. like yeah. what if the Red Skull won? What would that look like? That's not yeah. really something they've tried. Yeah. Or at least yeah, in a yeah. version beyond this. Yeah, for sure. And then they do the worst thing where like in the last three issues it's been just in the background that AIM is creating a counter cosmic cube. So yeah. just as the Red Skull, you know, makes a lunge and gets the cube back, it melts in his hands because AIM has activated the counter cube. And that's the that's the resolution of this, and it's so unsatisfying. Oh, I, see, you know I what? like that. I like Modoc just spitefully <laughs> taking back what is rightfully his. I, it's just as soon as I saw that Modoc was working on a counter cube, I was like, "Oh, all right. Well, this is how this will resolve." And it does. He's not even there. That's the point. Is like, yeah, <laughs> they're in the middle of yeah. a desert. And uh, okay, so two things. One, three things. Three things, Dave. One, the Red Skull grabs the cube. And it melts in his hands, and there's just enough power for him to... Oh, wait, never mind. I'm misremembering this. At first, I thought they just left him in the desert. Like, when I read this, I thought they just walked away and just were like, all right, well, he doesn't have a cube anymore, and they just left, but he actually does vanish, so... Okay. Okay. Two Two things. Two things. One, this issue ends with... Next issue, Cap goes to college! (laughs) (laughs) Which is so... Which is so funny. And I love that trope of, like, ending big galactic sagas like the galactus saga with someone goes to college mm-hmm. um and then so i read the next issue well it's even sillier when it's cap <laughs> yeah so yeah funny. it's very funny well past college age i read the next issue and uh i was like three pages in and i was just like wait how did they beat the red skull i just read this 90 seconds ago and i forgot like i it just i really liked all the build-up to this and then it was just so uneventful that it immediately just kind of phased out of my brain because it just just a bunch of stuff happened, and they resolved it in two pages again. And I just, ugh, I hate that so much. That's so frustrating to me. They're getting so good at building up these threats and then so bad at resolving them most of the time. Resolutions of stories this size are yeah. so difficult to pull off. Like, that's not, that is not unique to 60s Marvel. That is going to be a complaint throughout comics. They want to resolve it in the last couple pages, too, when it's like, you should resolve this 10 pages in. So that you have some time to, like, have a epilogue. Well, I, I think that's a lesson that stories today have learned is, like, yeah. actually, it's maybe a little more a little more sense of closure and a little more satisfying ending when mm-hmm. you don't end in the last six panels. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, all of the resolution. Um, you actually give space after that. I mean, the way they handle it at this time period is then, like, the next issue is mm-hmm. sort of the follow-up. Like, it's not like yeah, they just forget yeah. it, typically. Um, but I, I hear what you're saying. That's not, this is not a structural thing that will come. I'll be kind of interesting because we've been talking about it a lot, you know, and I'll be kind of interested to see, I've never really thought about like, when do they start moving away from that? Or mm-hmm. who are the creators maybe who, who do that a little bit differently? Um, I don't know that offhand, but yeah, definitely there's still, even as we get to the very last you know, vestiges of 60s comics, they're still doing the, we spent five issues and we're going to wrap this in. Two pages. two pages yeah 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 and it, i'm nitpicking a bit just about because it's like i really liked this so much that the resolution was unsatisfying but this was still like great and this one made this made me want to read captain america like all the issues because this was really good and the next one's good too if you it's not on the list but cap goes to college is very fun which i, I just want a, a little uh, a little teaser he goes to get a job as a phys ed teacher at a college and when the guy interviewing him asks him his, asks him his name he goes, uh, Roger, Roger Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> Good save. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Let's um let me do Captain Marvel number 17 very quickly because I think we started talking about it and honestly that's really all I want to talk about it for yeah, is you much. get Sad Rick Jones in the pages of Cap. Captain Marvel number 17 aggressively follows in the middle of that <laughs> Captain America plot. So it's like There's right so after many good lines Skull here. has been mean to Rick, Rick kind of goes off on his own. And this is where he Basically, he meets up with Captain Marvel. Oh no! Wait, um, wait! You're you're skipping all the good Rick Jones content here, which is that he meets up with a yeah. dog. <laughs> yeah, he meets up with a sad dog in an alley, <laughs> and like starts petting a dog and says, "You look hungry, pup, but not for food, for affection and respect." <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know that look. I've seen it before. Every time I look in the mirror, and it's like, no, this dog's hungry for food. Like his yeah. ribs are showing, but Rick dog's just like, leaves him there. Please feed me. You sad child. <laughs> just talking to dogs and <laughs> dogs. And then later, he goes to the Avengers mansion to get his stuff and pack up. And it's like, he's an Avenger? Like, when did we miss that? Well, he's helping them. No, he has an Avengers membership card that he, like, turns in or tears up. And that's he's crazy. not. He's not an Avenger. Okay. Okay. I, re- I refuse to allow that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's very funny because he leaves... Uh, Jarvis is the only one there, and as he's walking out with all his stuff, Jarvis says, but Master Rick, what about the Avengers? What shall I say to them? And Rick says, just tell them Rick Jones said goodbye, and then mail me both tears that they shed. (laughs) (laughs) I do really like Sad Rick. He's so good. I mean, I only like to see him suffer. Sad Rick's pretty funny. Okay, so after all that good, good Rick Jones content, um, we get the Rick Jones and Captain Marvel relationship begins. It has a good long history in the Marvel universe. And basically how this works is one of them can be out in Earth, you know, regular reality. The other person has to stay in the negative zone. Yeah, while so the Captain other Marvel is there. stuck in the negative zone until yeah. Rick Jones clangs his bracelets together. Right. It's kind of a weird um, alter ego type thing uh-huh. where... You know, generally, like we've seen, you know, Peter Parker is Spider-Man, but he kind of sort of pretends he isn't. This is literally two different people, mm-hmm. but they, they inhabit Earth separately. One of them is a superhero and one is not. Um, we're not going to read a ton of Captain Marvel until Jim Starlin yeah, not- jumps on the title here in the 70s, but this will be around. It's an interesting concept, but it's not very good. It's also just like, this is the other Captain Marvel from DC. It's almost the same exact idea. Like, there's details are different, but like a teenage boy who swaps teenage places. boy who can become a fully powered adult man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and they have the same exact name. It's <laughs> like, that's so crazy that they were like, well, that guy's name is Captain Marvel. Our guy's name is Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Let's give them, you know, 80% overlap in their power set and structure of how things work. It's that's baffling to me what they were doing. Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Good, good, good commentary, Dave. <laughs> yep. One less dig at Rick Jones. He should stick to ham radio. That's his level. The ultimate sidekick. You know, I've come to like Rick Jones. Um, I have nothing good to say about him. He actually, once Peter David, the writer, starts doing some stuff with Rick Jones, uh, he, he comes around for me. Yeah. You know what actually he looks like in a couple of these shots? I, I don't remember who the artist is, but um, it's... Uh, he actually looks like Marvel Boy from the Golden Age because he has that like dumb cow-eyed like 
big wide eyes that just look totally dopey like marvel boy used to yeah he kind of he kind of looks like that the way he's drawn here captain marvel no good rick jones no good and moving into some avengers no good uh we'll see We'll see. And we're going to start with Avengers number 67. It's a two-part story here, Avengers 67 and 68. And then we're going to talk about Avengers number 70, um, which starts a new story. So 67 is called We Stand at Armageddon. It's by Roy Thomas, Barry Windsor Smith on art. I think you're just going by Mm -hmm. Barry Smith. Um, He's going to be a a big player in some Marvel books like Conan going forward. Uh, He does a really cool Wolverine series in the 90s, one of my all-time favorites, Weapon X. Hmm. Um, And we've got George Klein and Arts and Mech on Letters. So Ultron 6, we we are in the era of numbered Ultrons in case. I don't (laughs) know that we've like talked about this, but you know, like DC does this with Brainiac. Yeah, yeah, right. Like he, he upgrades every time and then he gives himself a new number. And Ultron 6 is a version where he's the top half of Ultron, but on a uh, motorized sled, I guess, Yeah. more often than yeah. not. Uh, not my favorite Ultron look, but kind of fun. No. Yeah. I I mean, not my favorite comic book look. This whole thing. Did you like Barry Windsor Smith's art here? So I, I love Barry Windsor Smith's art now so much. Um, this issue doesn't deliver that same sort of thrill. For me, it's wait, clearly wait, wait. early you stages. Just said, you just said, I do love Barry Windsor Smith's art now so much. I love it now. Like, I knowing what oh, he's okay. going oh. to do. <laughs> knowing what he's... Oh, no, okay. no, no. Not... Okay, let me let me rephrase. Okay. I don't love the art in Avengers number 67. Okay. Barry Windsor Smith is one of my favorite Marvel artists in terms of what he's going to do. But, like, gotcha. this early work of his... I, didn't do a ton for me. I didn't kind, see a kind lot. Kind of like Starenko in those very early issues. Well, you like those a little more than I did. I'm more just, into those. I think those are more inventive. But but uh, they didn't hold a candle ways. to what he was doing like a few, six months later. He improves. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Barry Smith here, you'd be forgiven if you didn't think like, oh, this guy's going to be a superstar necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just, I thought like, okay, so... One, he did a weird thing with their mouths. Did you notice this? That he did a lot of like space, uh, like energy check effects. Check my notes. With... Nope, nothing about mouths. <laughs> about, about, like <laughs> he would do like Kirby crackle inside of giant man's mouth or Goliath's mouth. Kirby spill. Like, yeah, right. Or uh, it just looked like energy rays. Like when they were yelling, instead of just having a tongue, they would have some kind of weird energy. I don't know design going on. Um, Oh wait! Actually, speaking of designs, can we talk about what's going on with Hawkeye right now? I I would Which prefer not, that we did. It's <laughs> he's. I mean, he's not Hawkeye. He's Goliath now because Goliath Hank Pym is Yellow Jacket, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure what the difference is, except that it's just like a cooler name than Ant Man, I guess. Cooler name. Uh, he's got little fun stingers. yellow costume. Yeah, his costume's better, I think. Um, maybe connects a little better to the Wasp, actually. Yeah, sure. Yellow jacket and the Wasp. But then, so Hawkeye has stepped up uh, to become Goliath. Right. And his costume, I mean, one, that's boring because he had arrows before. He was a marksman. Now he's just a big guy. Um, and then his costume is like... Incredible. So leather daddy. Like, he's, <laughs> he just has a... It's like he's wearing one of those gun holster, those like leather gun holsters that you, uh, yeah. what are they, a shoulder holster, but on 
both sides. They're like right. straps on both sides. And then with one strap going across, but just covering his nipples. Right. I, I mean, they get chilly. Designing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good point. It's just a, uh, it's a wild costume. It, this is such a weird phase for Clint Barton. Like it yeah. is, it, it, it's Zero so identity. bizarre. Like he just, he's sick of being Hawkeye. He thinks he's not strong enough. He thinks he's not contributing enough. It's actually kind of interesting because I mean, that it's a, makes sense in some kind of level. That yeah, it's a lot of the criticisms people have of Hawkeye, like as an Avenger, or the jokes that mm-hmm. people make when they see him, like in the MCU. You know, like what's this guy with a bow and arrow going to do? Like he's actually internalizing that and worried about it to the point <laughs> that he's like, yeah. "I'm going to become super big and strong all the time because that's the only way to deal with problems is super strength." Um, I do wish, and I thought this as we were reading these issues, I wish he maintained his Hawkeye skill set while he was Goliath. Like, it never comes up that he's also the most skilled marksman ever. So so he has no identity. He just becomes Giant Man. Yeah, yeah. It just strips him of any kind of unique identity. Yeah, and he's going to be Goliath for a fair stretch. Really? Like, there are meaningful moments in the marvel universe where clint is wandering around with his nips uh nice and covered um, <laughs> and nothing else As they and be, yeah. and he's real large yeah so uh it's yeah. I, I don't know i i don't like it per se <laughs> but it's interesting that it happens. it's a very it's a very funny costume but the the rest of this the artwork here like i didn't know where i was a lot of the time like in space, you don't know where the characters. You gotta are. stop drinking and, while you're reading and, these comics. It's <laughs> not helping. Yeah, I was in, I was just in some alley with my tablet <laughs> reading these, and I didn't know where how I got to this city. Um, yeah, I, you don't know where you are in space. The panels are so loaded with action and characters that it's mm-hmm. hard. It's just hard to see at a glance what's going on. There's just mm-hmm. so much stuff happening in so many text bubbles. There's one page that I counted that had like 18 text bubbles on it, like separate text bubbles. It's horrifying. Like, yeah. Oh, Dave like was like, oh, that's not so bad. I feel like we've <laughs> seen much worse, honestly. Yeah, I guess yeah. It, it just, uh, it, but there was one where it was like a half page panel between three people talking and there was, there was like nine text bubbles going back and forth. So it was like nine different jumps on text conversation that you couldn't figure out the order. So let's let's dive into this a little because you've definitely not been enjoying the Roy Thomas era of Avengers, which I have a I've definitely gained appreciation of over time. I think I've I've probably mentioned before, like I read um Grant Morrison has an semi autobiography called Super Gods, and it's like mm-hmm. it's like partial autobiography, partial comic book history. And he talks a lot about the, in that how much he appreciates and was sort of influenced by the prose of Roy Thomas, which actually gave me a newfound appreciation because Morrison's a modern creator that I, I really love. Um, yeah. I think the stuff that – so like let's just real quick. Avengers 67 and 68, this issue is all about Ultron trying to blow up the world. <laughs> like Ultron right. is trying to initiate uh, you know, Armageddon and they're trying to prevent it. So it's very mm-hmm. high stakes – um, it's bringing back Ultron, this villain that Thomas and Buscema created and brought to the fold. I actually think the Thomas era of Avengers, even just into the 60s, is clearly an improvement. Like, I think these stories are, they get a lot more interesting. And I definitely like Avengers comics more once 
Thomas shows up as the writer. Now, I can understand the structural criticisms you've had of it, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think as far as like big ideas go and just sort of mad energy, that is taken up a notch in a way that I do think suits the book um, and is actually going to deliver like, I don't think this is like a huge must read type story. But if you like Avengers comics, I'd rather read this than like that (laughs) that weird Cap Hawkeye Scarlet Witch Quicksilver era. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So, yes, definitely. Like, I do like the Roy Thomas era better than the Stanley era. I just don't like it. <laughs> like, I like it more. And I just, I don't like Roy Thomas. Like, he just writes so much text, and eighty percent of it literally could just get clipped out, and you would get the same. But same who's information but who's the and, writer that we're reading right now that's not doing that? Um, there, I mean, there's people, I mean, Stan Lee does a much better job of that lately. Stan so you Lee's, think Lee's, you think Lee's got a better, better pacing. He's scaling things I back think, a little at this point. I think his pacing is better. And then even when he's writing a lot, it's a lot more character focused so mm-hmm. that it actually. It's like definitely I, funnier. I, I don't peel apart that the different characters saying these things, like it all kind of feels just like one comic book hero you know, like all these heroes, big hero, with a single voice. voice yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's that's interesting. For, uh, yeah. It, you know, it's just that kind of generic superhero, you know, someone gets blasted with a laser and they go, ah, a laser right in my eyes. Got to dodge it. That like, oh, that was a good wasp impersonation. I could tell by the dialogue. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay. I was going right for Janet yeah. and Pam. So the, the lineup Janet here Pam is Pam, just, Thor, Goliath, a.k.a. Hawkeye going through a midlife crisis. Uh, yeah. Vision, Yellow Jacket, Iron Man, and Wasp. So we do bring Thor and Iron Man back to the fold. So we, mm-hmm. again, yep. like we're building out the lineup a little bit more where the Avengers start to feel more like, oh, okay, this is like the biggest team in the Marvel Universe, which I, I think helps them a bit. Um, yeah. We do get a pretty good Ultron versus Vision showdown. You know, mm-hmm. I think the one thing, one narrative arc that thomas in particular crafts pretty well is the ultron and vision dynamics i think yeah, if you're going to yeah, take away anything from the 60s avengers comics those stand out the most to me by far is the introduction of ultron and vision as this sort of wild um artificial intelligence like father-son dynamic that is extremely fraught <laughs> with complication yeah yeah the um the way that they write artificial intelligence is really funny at this time like we're we didn't read it but coming up there's an x-men comic that uh, is a precursor to what we did read that he you know because he kind of they they write robots to behave you know very logically or whatever but they're also kind of big idiots that are very emotional (laughs) but they've just written Mm -hmm. as if they are speaking logically so like god everyone should go back and read we started with x-men 60 but you really should go back to 56 and read forward. Uh, and I'll just say there's a moment in one of those where they're fighting the Sentinels and the way that they defeat them is by, by using their logic against them. I, there's this whole thing about how mutant powers are caused by cosmic radiation in this. And the Hawk, or Hawkeye, Cyclops convinces the Sentinels, well, the most logical thing to do would be to destroy the source of mutant powers, which is the sun. And so mm. all the Sentinels are like, hmm. That does sound logical to me. So they all fly into the sun. Now I remember this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, which is very good. But yeah, they, they, I don't know what point I'm making, except that their understanding of like artificial intelligence and stuff is 
is pretty funny. I mean, I, I think there's a clear separation between the Sentinels being manipulated that way, though, and Ultron, for example, who is not susceptible to those sorts of tricks, I don't think, at least yeah, not Yeah, because Ultron doesn't degree. come across as a robot. He just, you know, like, y- you could have just made him, besides his powers, you could just make him any kind of other supervillain and it would fit in. He just has a personality. Well, they're not robots. I mean, the Vision's an android, right? And that is a distinction that Thomas and, and company will actually attempt to define as fuzzy oh, can, as can that Can you define be. it for me? <laughs> can I define it? Yeah, what do you mean? Like, I mean, so that, like, that when they call Vision an android, I think the idea that I get is he's not just a metallic, cold, unfeeling robot. He is a being that has been created that is sentient and that can feel. And this is yeah. sort of a, a point that, you know, even an android can cry is the is the comic sure. title way back when. Sure. I like that um, one too. Yeah, and it's that's important for the vision because he as maybe Spock like as he feels, he feels. Mm-hmm. Um and that makes him different. And Ultron actually, despite the fact that he does not have similar sympathies as the vision, he actually feels tremendous anger. <laughs> which it, you know, his his emotion set comes out in in rage towards yeah. Hank Pym, towards humanity at large. So it's not really the cold calculating just like the MCU's Ultron shows that. And like I think my my favorite scene, the only one one of the few that I really remember from the Age of Ultron is when Ultron hacks off uh Claw's arm. Yeah. In that. And then is immediately like surprised like, "Oh, oh, I'm sorry." Like like mm-hmm. he, he just kind of lashed out, his temper flared, <laughs> and he lashed out and then immediately is like Ooh, oh, oops. Yeah. <laughs> like kind of, you know, is is clearly working on, you know, just an emotional level. So yeah, you, I think you're right. I think all that is there to a degree. You just have to work for it and you have to just dig through so much superfluous comic book stuff, you know, the the all this text and all this verbiage to get to that. So I just feel like, you know, they they're not putting that right out front. That's buried a little bit. Yeah, than it's not maybe tight. I have the patience to to get to. Yeah. No, I, I can understand that. Um yeah. one detail I'll mention from this story yeah. uh, is they they announce when Ultron crashes Avengers headquarters that he's a being of living adamantium, which mm-hmm. I think is the first time that we've seen adamantium referenced oh, really? in the Marvel universe. Yeah. And I was actually surprised reading it again because I don't think of that coming into play until Wolverine shows up. Uh, but yeah, actually, Ultron's sure. made of it before. You know, we're six years before we're going to get any signs. It of got Wolverine. brought up. I guess the first time it ever got brought up was '66. I'm just looking at the wiki now. What so, do you yeah, know? Does yeah. it say what comic and what you're looking at? Yeah. Uh, no, sorry, Avengers '66. So the one okay. Right so just the issue yeah. right before. Yeah. 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 So that's brand new. Cool. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so I mean, basically, this comic it it leads to a, it's it's a whole like I don't know it's kind of an event size spectacular like Shield intervenes they're trying to prevent Ultron's mad plan mm-hmm. it appears right. that he's going to win um you know and blow up whatever it is he's going to blow up um everyone everywhere yeah yep yep <laughs> is it, is it yeah, any less than that? that is um and he, he doesn't the Avengers stop him I mean that's that's how it plays out uh, as you'd expect was there anything super notable from sixty eight. 68 is 67 ends with him about to trigger the device to destroy right. the city and then he flips the switch and just nothing happens and uh and then vision pops out and is like you know i cut the wires which is it, that's kind of a fun moment i like that yeah. 
of uh you know if vision hadn't been there he he would have uh he would have done it but the the only thing in 68 that's really good is yellow jacket says something like all right well the only way to destroy ultron's adamantium body is that he has there's a molecular rearranger that we'll need to use against him mm-hmm. but the molecular rearranger happens to be like placed on ultron's body <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know we need to get to it and the only person who's going to be able to help us figure it out is uh yellow jackets like i know someone dr mclean and i'll i'll help him or you know th- he'll help us figure this out this whole issue goes by dr mclean comes in because ultron's trying to kidnap this guy to have him build robots and th- at the very end the-, the avengers are fighting him and i had to go and look back yellow jackets not with them throughout mm-hmm. this whole fight Dr. McClane helps them defeat Ultron, and then he pulls off a mask, and it's actually Yellow Jacket. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, there's this whole big winding explanation that he he self-hypnotized himself to think that he was someone named Dr. McClane. Mm-hmm. Because Ultron was going to hypnotize him, and if he... The only... Th- oh, my God. I don't even know. It was like... He hypnotized himself to be this other person whose one and only thought that Ultron could pull out of him is thou shalt not kill. And that way that I don't I don't know. That's like, right. That's, that's right. all he could pull out of his mind. So he had to hypnotize himself into having pure. Well, because thoughts. the the moral <laughs> lesson, uh, uh, you know, when you filter through all that wild hypnosis, is that Ultron then absorbed. He wound up absorbing the thought thou shalt not kill yeah, and it basically like drove him yeah. mad yeah, um, yeah because yeah. it was so at odds with his his protocols they also blew him up under a dome of vibranium so <laughs> there was that they had to go to black panther and get some vibranium which does start to talk about like the difference between adamantium and vibranium or whatever so starting with 70 this kind of jumps in did you skip 69 just because you didn't you think it kind of picked up you you got what you needed from Nice. Seven, all right. We're already in 1969. All right. Uh, I, I read it the first time, and then I cut it out because I thought you could get what you needed here from just reading 70. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so, too. It's it's not bad. I actually liked 6970 a lot more than 6768. Um, but the setup is that Kang the Conqueror has a lover named Ravona who's in... She's, like, sick and dying, and he has her in stasis, and... He is challenged some guy called the Grandmaster, right? Grandmaster shows up, that's right. Who is this cosmic entity who likes to gamble, right? Isn't that that's kind of his whole thing? He likes loves to play games, games, loves challenges. Yeah. Uh yeah, he's a big gambler. Yeah. Knows and when so to hold challenges. them, knows when to fold them. Knows when to destroy the world for all eternity. That's, that's yeah. all I know that song. <laughs> He challenges uh, the so this is Kang the Conqueror and the Grandmaster are playing they call it chess. But it's just basically gladiators. Like, but it's just gladiators. I don't know why they call it chess. It's just like these two men will fight to the death. Let's call it chess. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Let's imagine your knight and your rook could really get at it. Yeah, yeah. If you're being generous, oh, right. Fighting over the big Ben. The, yeah, the it's, big it's ben. more Harry Potter chess than it is yeah. modern yeah. chess. Um, it, you know, you you skipped over here. The issue seventy title: Windstrike Squadron Sinister. This oh, is the big yeah. Squadron Sinister debut. And again, we should. This is RT and Sal Buscema on art. And I think we've yeah. seen John so far, but maybe not Sal. And yes, they are brothers. Yeah, I like I liked the artwork here. It was a lot cleaner. 
and mm-hmm. like easier to e- better flow, easier to follow. So Kang the Conqueror has created or brought forth his little gang of minions to fight the Avengers, and the stakes are: if Kang the Conqueror wins, he gets his lady love Ravona back, and if Grandmaster wins, he doesn't get her back, and also the Earth is destroyed. And will have always been destroyed. It's not just destroyed from the year 4000 on. <laughs> it's like he's going to go back in time and destroy it from the beginning or something. It's yeah, like and the, basically King becomes odds. an ally of the Avengers in an effort to stop this because it yeah. will mess up his past yeah. and, and prevent him from coming into power. So he's in the 41st century where he might seem comfortable, but he's got to assemble this team of 20th century Avengers as his champions, knowing yeah. full well that they've defeated him in the past. So he thinks, well, they're strong enough. They can do this. Yeah. So the Squadron Sinister, we've got Doc Spectrum, who, pretty cool design. I like his design of a uh, like light overlaying. It's a really simple, colorful design, and they, mm-hmm. all the colors meet in the center of his chest to, to form white, which is pretty cool. Um, he just controls light, blasts out, I don't know, beams of light, something like that. Nighthawk, who seems like a real obvious Batman ripoff. Like, doesn't he have like a hawk plane? He's just known for being a good fighter who's agile. He's got gadgets. He kind of looks like Batman. The Squadron Sinister are all Justice League analogs. Uh, Nighthawk. Yeah. Nighthawk is Batman. Doc Spectrum, who you mentioned, is a Green Lantern analog. Oh, sure. Prism power, very similar to a Green Lantern ring. You have Hyperion, your Superman analog, and the Wizard, who is our Flash analog. Yeah, and Hyperion, his world was destroyed, same as Superman. Yeah. Yeah, his is actually pretty cool. He lived, he's like one of these little microverse people who, uh, he lived in his entire universe was in a single atom that just like, by like pretty, pretty bad happenstance happened to be the atom that uh, scientists first split when they first (laughs) tried to split the atom. Yeah, it's actually a crossover with Horton Hears a Who. There's a little asterisk in there that mentions that that is the flower that Hyperion came from and his entire town, all those little Who's, gone. His atom was one of the atoms on one of the Who's that formed one of the Who's. That's that's more microscopic. That's that's nothing. Uh, And then the wizard, I, I don't remember. He was fast, is that what you said? I forgot him. Yeah, he's he's like the Flash. And Flash he loves is to, fast. And he's good at peeing. That's God, my comedy is on point today, huh? Wh- you, get, you get nothing for that. You get absolutely nothing. <laughs> so sorry, everyone. Um yeah, so this is this is pretty good fights. We just get one on one fights at famous locations across the earth. So um Yeah, it's a big boss fight issue. Everybody gets yeah. a boss, they go and yeah, fight him. Captain one America Avenger. fights Nighthawk at the Statue of Liberty, there's a fight at the Sphinx, at Big Ben, Taj Mahal. Um, the only wrinkle is that the hero Black Knight shows up during the last fight at the Taj Mahal. Mm. And um, who was it? Oh, Goliath is fighting the wizard there. And he, Goliath tells Black Knight to stay out of it. But Black Knight is like, oh, well, he's in trouble. And he interferes. And then the Grandmaster says, you know, like, the rules have been broken. You brought in outside help. And... You lost round one of this chess. You know how chess is broken into rounds? You you and I must play chess very differently because I do 12 <laughs> rounds of chess every time. 12 physical contact rounds. Yeah, it's always judge. It always ends in TKO, which is surprising. <laughs> I've never actually finished a game. Um, it's been on the floor knocked out. Uh, we, I don't think we've talked about the Black Knight 
in this incarnation much. Uh, when we previously no. talked about him, he was an Avengers villain. This yep. Black Knight is different. Uh, his alter ego is Dane Whitman. And uh, essentially, he's like a, um, you know, he's got the powers of like a King Arthur Knight. Basically, he's got all the medieval stuff going on and he's mm-hmm. got a magical sword. And Black Knight is going to be um, a, a fairly consistent recurring character throughout Avengers in the 70s uh, and also the Defenders. Well, if you go on, because this one kind of just ends mid-story and we don't read the next one, but I went ahead and read it because I was actually into this, weirdly enough. Um, And after the next issue, he joins the Avengers. So he becomes a full-time Avengers member in 71. Oh, And issue 71 is called Endgame. I know, yeah. Maybe some hints for the MCU. Yeah, so if you don't want the movie spoiled, you should avoid avoid this one it begins uh, with black knight declaring we must light the brazier of truth which uh brazier. i don't want to spoil it but also I, how endgame begins <laughs> it is not pronounced brazier <laughs> b-r-a-z-i-e-r great brazier <laughs> i'm sorry what brazier did you, did you mean brazier <laughs> whose way here's the thing whose way is more fun Whose whose way sounds like a, a steamy romance novel from like the nineteen fifties? Now yeah. to, to allow me to remove this brazier. That's right. <laughs> okay. Listen, let me let me just stop, light this brazier on steamy fire. on the pot. I'm trying to talk <laughs> comics here. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So this was pretty good. I I liked these Avengers issues, and that's not something I can say very often. But these two were good. Brazier. Or not these two. Seventy and then seventy one. If you go on to read them, so. What's our segue? <laughs> <laughs> um, so segueing on to uh, yeah. Thor one sixty eight, yeah, and we can do these together. Th- these are one. These are one story together, and they start out with mm. Odin is punishing Thor because he <laughs> he got the warrior madness, uh, cap- all capital letters, which I Happens. really liked. The yeah, um, they keep saying it like it's a proper noun. Like uh, he gave in to warrior madness. He's got a real case of warrior madness. It's like, um, yeah, yeah. What's, like what happens what's when you play chess? Disease that somebody gets, like chickenpox. Is that capitalized? I feel like it would be. Sure. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Diseases are usually. I don't actually. I don't know. Like if you're like you got typhoid fever. Yeah. 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 Well, they just keep right? saying it. Like it's not just like he went mad with rage or he was berserk in battle. It's they keep specifically referencing warrior madness. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the thing. Yeah, which which just means that like, hey, to make it up for me, go fight Galactus. Uh, Odin says and sends him off to fight Galactus. I was thinking about this. Galactus is generally considered a Fantastic Four villain. I mm-hmm. think we've seen him more in Thor up to this point. When we factor in this, he has shown up more in Thor comics, I think, than Fantastic Four. He's here a well, lot. Well, the end of the end of the sixties, he becomes a cosmic Thor player. Yeah, um, yeah, and and there's this whole thing of. about how like. Odin and him are really wrapped up together because uh, he rivals Odin's powers and Odin's very concerned about him. Like, which is weird because is this kind of brings up if Galactus destroys Earth, does he destroy Asgard? Is Asgard its own planet? Is, you know what he I mean? Doesn't, Earth could be destroyed without destroying Asgard, uh, but they have a general, they being Odin and Thor, uh, vested interest in keeping little old Midgard around. Yeah, 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 but he's also worried about him, like, destroying Asgard. So, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't really matter at this point. Like, I, sh- I shouldn't think about it that deeply. But, um... Says somebody who doesn't live in Asgard. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I'm yeah. <laughs> I've got There's my Midgar- those my Midgarian privilege is showing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, so Thor goes through space to find Galactus, and he yeah he's just sent to fight him, and he gets there and he gets to Galactus's ship and finds that Galactus is just kind of like sitting chilling out waiting for him, and is not interested in fighting him, which is pretty fun. Like Galactus kind of bats aside Thor and just shows again how powerful he is. And let's also let's also highlight here if somebody's got a case of the capital warrior madness mm-hmm. sending them to go fight the biggest cosmic entity kind of a weird cure yeah i you think know? he's come i think he came down from warrior he 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 found the cure for warrior madness right it yeah. was galactus's boring origin story but yeah. they didn't know that they sent him oh you think fight. it's boring okay I- <laughs> no i'm just teasing it because that's the, that would be the come down um yeah. i so yeah we get the galactus origin i mean that's basically what this yeah, comic he, becomes well, the, galactus- the watcher uh shares some of the de- or no no excuse me galactus explains to thor uh his his coming <laughs> into this being is, this is kind of funny galactus like engulfs him in a visa cloud and just, you know, is like, sit down, let me tell you my story. And Thor is struggling and Galactus is like, I just need to, I need to unload this on someone. <laughs> I really need someone to talk to. I, yeah, the, I think there's the, a part of him too that's like, maybe if I explain this to this guy, he'll stop hounding me. Yeah, you know, he's just maybe he'll understand like, a little better. He recognizes like, that Thor is operating on a scale that he can, he'll at least sit and have a conversation with, you know, like with yeah. Fantastic Four, he's like, you're ants until they threaten everything. <laughs> it's... Yeah, because Thor can't really threaten him, but, like, it's kind of like a bumblebee that just keeps, like, bumping into the back of your head. He can hurt like, you. It, it's not yeah. It's not really painful, but it's just obnoxious. But well, maybe it's like a bee just... that can blow up your ship. Yeah, sure, yeah. And maybe if you just sit down with that bee and tell him the story of your birth, Here's the leave thing. you alone. Every time I get in my ship, my water ship, uh-huh. and I just sit in the driveway, mm-hmm. bees everywhere <laughs> oh, just ruthless I, wait um no something something's coming back to me um there's an issue of wait 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 very curious to see where this is going okay so a good reason for you to to continue on to read avengers 71 uh-huh. <laughs> i forgot about this uh following up during the end game issue they the the avengers are sent to fight the like the golden age heroes so they have to fight mm. golden age captain america namor and the original human torch and it's yeah. like current day avengers it's pretty fun yellow jacket six a swarm of bees on namor oh. <laughs> which is very good i don't know if that's a ongoing thing that he has control over bees but watching namor like run from a, a flock of bees it's <laughs> <was> very satisfying <laughs> I don't know. I can't believe I, I somehow found a stupid, weird roundabout way to get back to bees. But yeah, no, nice anyway, connection. That actually. Did you say watership? That actually made. Is that what sense. you call your car? What do you mean? My watership. I don't understand. I don't get. Well, I job. drive through puddles, and you know, I sail. I sail to work every morning. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so tell me. Are about you saying Galactus's most origins? people don't have giant sails on top of their ships that they commute in? I, Honestly, I have no idea what you're getting at with this. <laughs> we can we can cut this joke. I'm not sure. It's yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't. I don't know. Tell tell me about Galactus's origin. So, the Watcher found a young Galactus as the sole survivor of the plague ship that Galactus had been traveling in. Mm-hmm. Um, Galactus tells Thor of his homeworld Ta, T A A. 
And Ta is basically Krypton, but with the plague. Yeah. Um, yeah. So everyone's getting very sick. And uh, G and his crew, they are piloting an escape vessel. So they're they're scientists and they're kind of watching this impending plague. They're viewing like an alternate universe or dimension or whatever. They don't totally know. But basically they're trying to science their way out by piloting an escape vessel into their sun. They're like, listen, we don't have many options. We're going to drive into the sun and see what happens, a la the Sentinels from earlier in this issue yeah. or episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Ta-, Ta is this totally ascended utopia, like perfect society that that's so far beyond anything that, that, you know, anything else we've seen. And everyone except Galactus is destroyed by the cosmic radiation. Mm-hmm. And he somehow is transformed into this cosmic being who has this infinite hunger to destroy and eat planets, like suck the energy. Yeah, out and of we kind of see the watcher, kind of was you know, watching him. Yeah, the Watcher actually has a moment of the Galactus is emerging and he's vulnerable, and the Watcher thinks like now's the time to strike if I right. need to if I want to finish him off because so he's going to wreak so much destruction on the galaxy, and he decides like no, I just have to watch. <laughs> it's my yeah. duty, and you know, thinking to himself that he's going to regret just letting this guy pop out of his uh, cocoon or whatever. It's not well, cocoon, and we've talked but... a little bit about the nature of Galactus throughout this this Thor cycle that we've been reading, and how you know he's a force of nature that he is yeah. sort of inevitable. I think, and and kind of coming to terms with him, not necessarily as a villain, but as like a giant creature that just needs to eat, you know, yeah. is kind of the new framework. And I think Galactus here, he further engenders sympathy by saying, you know, he didn't ask for any of this. He's not sure. made this way by choice. It was survival and he became this giant cosmic entity as a result. Um, but it's not like he's out here, like, you know, his supervillain origin story isn't, uh, I was, I was spited by a restaurant they didn't serve me on time, and now <laughs> and I'm I just wanted to eat get the everyone. power to eat the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I thought it was interesting that his power, his origin, is similar to the Fantastic Four, right? Cosmic yeah. radiation, like that that'll get that'll same. keep getting played with a little bit more. Really, too, oh, cool. over time, which I think is a cool connection as well. And, and yeah. I like the, building the connection between the Watcher and Galactus because they have this ongoing relationship. Like the Watcher is often the one who needs to be the public defender of Galactus as not a villain, but just a, just is right. That he just exists. And yeah. Um, yeah. I thought this was okay. Um, 169 has one of the better covers we've seen in Marvel so far. I really love the cover of this. It's like a collage of Galactus in the background with a empty space, empty Galactus sized space in the center of the comic and Thor flying out of it. It's very cool. Yeah. I really like this cosmic like journey that Thor and Stanley and Jack Kirby take us on throughout these issues. I don't know that they're like it's a little different too from, you know, it's not the the standard Kirby action necessarily, but it's yeah. like cosmic like mythologies and and building out layers to this Marvel like a side of the Marvel universe that is so far beyond Manhattan, we can barely conceive of it. And, and I think doing that has it nice a lot. and slowly. You know, like, they're taking their time. This took two issues to explain the origin, where I feel like in the past they would have just, like, crammed this into two pages and then had ten pages of punching and yelling. You know, and, like, it underlines its significance and, like, gives it a little weight because 
they give it the time to breathe and like yeah yeah and it's great because they think they're realizing like you can just breeze over these huge plot points like psycho man where it's just like there's so much about that character and they pack it into two pages like his entire Mm -hmm. origin and it's just like i don't know it doesn't land because it kind of just feels like shoehorned in um yeah i mean if you think about the villains of marvel as we come to a close on the 60s the ones that are like the most fleshed out mm-hmm. galactus is up there at the top of them as far yeah, as agreed. like doom i would say is number one because he gets a lot of attention early they realize they've got something pretty special there um as far as his backstory but does anyone get more i think i would actually galactus green, number green two? goblin at number one green goblin number one yeah i'd say i think his i mean because the only stuff we really know about dr doom is we know his like his childhood and his background but that's about it right like we don't know that much more about his his character doesn't like grow and evolve much <clears throat> over the course of the series he just kind of his motivations remain pretty much the same but like norman osborne has gone through a bunch of stuff because least, of like, the because of the head injuries kind of he yeah, almost and, like and it's almost like he changed you know like actual has changes of heart yeah and it's not fair to like really bring it up i guess or it's not uh it's not part of the club but like he's been going through a lot of stuff in the amazing spider-man we haven't been reading it's really interesting. well i mean like, again like ams slowly... is a perpetual wreck oh so yeah I totally think, Read i think all it is it, fair yeah. to talk about yeah, yeah um, he's, he's like slowly getting his memory back and dealing with the fact that like he is realizing he's green goblin but maybe he doesn't want to be and then you know, like he's just very confused and <laughs> terrorized by these memories that are coming back. Yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. a good pick. I, I think so. We got Doom, we got the Goblin, and then we got Galactus. Is there anybody who's who's the name that people are like screaming at their phones? Um, uh, as they the listen Wrecker to this, has a crowbar. Wrecker still got his crowbar. That's yep. actually pretty thoroughly explained. Still, man, I would argue, um, not explained nearly enough. I want. I really would like to know more about how Wilbur Day adjusted to being so tiny and then coming <laughs> back to stilt sized. Yeah. Um, who's that? Uh, there's actually one. Oh, the Absorbing Man. He, uh, yeah. Like Magneto, we don't have a ton at this point. That all. Yeah, Magneto later. will become one of the best, but at yeah. this point, he's not that interesting. Yeah. No, I just find it yeah, kind of interesting. No, I, like the I think those are probably they, the big they three. choose to explain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, I mean, at least for me, those are definitely the big three. I mean, yeah. Namor is half a villain and he's he gets i mean but he has his own i guess comic. if you consider him a villain which nah, i mean he's not really i i think less and less at this time also it's trending away but definitely yeah. for stretches he's very close to that um yeah obviously he has his own series so that's that's a number one if he if you consider him that but okay let's uh let's use that as our transition to talk about some Uncanny X-Men. We haven't done a ton of Uncanny X-Men of late, I think, yeah. for, for obvious reasons. Um, issues number 60 to number 63 I put on this list because we get Neil Adams, artist, mm-hmm. on the title. And Neil yeah. Adams is has done a lot of really uh, famous and influential work across comics. He's probably most well-known at this point for his work with writer Denny O'Neill on Batman mm-hmm. in the early 1970s. He did a ton of to shape the look and feel of what we know as the dark Knight, coming yeah. out of that, you know, Batman 66 pop culture uh, explosion that the character was, that was kind of translating to the comics in the, mm-hmm. in the late sixties. 
Um, he he kind of gets him away from that. He also drew stuff like uh, Superman versus Muhammad Ali, which is one of the most you know kind of iconic comics of all time. So <laughs> Neil Adams is a big deal, and he did some X Men issues, and they're interesting to look at. They don't hit me quite the same way as like a Starenko, but I think Adams can be talked about in the same conversation. So not not to like throw any shade at you, but uh, you you wrote in the um, in the My Marvelous Year list the spreadsheet we have for patrons mm-hmm. that. Go back to issue 56 if you want to see more Neil Adams. Yeah. So I think 56 through 59 is a stronger run for me than 60 through 63. We read 60 yeah. for 63, and I, I went back and read 56 through 59. I think those are great. And I like, I liked, so I like 61, 60, or 60 and 61 with um, Sauron, and then this, the Savage Land. You know, somebody else told me that as well when we did the when we did the club read in 2016. Yeah. And I ignored them as thoroughly as I'm going to ignore you. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm curious yeah, yeah. why do, why did you think those issues were better? <laughs> uh, I think just because the Savage Land stuff was dull. <laughs> um, yeah. That we're gonna get to like it. It just was kind of rushed, and I don't I don't know the Savage Land never really works for me. So uh, my hook my hook here was the reason that I pulled these is. Um, it connects to the '90s animated series, okay. In in episodes that I don't even like that much, but that I'm familiar with. So it's got <laughs> the develop. It's got the origin of Sauron as a villain. It's got Savage Land, and it's got all the mutate stuff. What did fifty? What's the hook for fifty six and fifty nine for those who are curious? I mean, fifty six through fifty nine has. I mean, it's got Havoc, who's Cyclops's brother, coming in the first time we've seen him. He's been around a little bit, but it's like really fleshing out him be learning he's a mutant and coming to grip with his power because he's out of control and he's like terrified of being a mutant. Kind of like Cyclops. He's got the same thing as Cyclops where he's scared of his power hurting mm-hmm. people. Um, and his power is like vibrational power, I think. It's it's a little ill-defined, but I think he can vibrate. He's got stuff. like what I think of as like cosmic energy. I mean, he shoots blasts yeah. out of his hands instead yeah, of his yeah. eyes, so okay. he's not that different. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and he, he doesn't know how to control it yet, so he's worried about that. But then it brings back, it's Bolivar Trask, the guy who created the Sentinels. It's a whole storyline about his son, Larry Trask, is taking up his father's mantle as the anti-mutant crusader. And he's sicking much smarter Sentinels on the X-Men this time, but not that smart, because you just, Cyclops convinced them to fly into the sun. Um, God, I was just thinking, like, you know all those, like, internet guys who are obsessed with logic? Like, that's their whole thing, like... Mm-hmm. The, the, the facts don't care about your feelings thing <laughs> like, okay god i wish we could just convince them all to fly into the sun <laughs> that would be such a good solution for all use the fun. facts use the facts to get the result i mean you that's want. what you do like you just need to come up with a, an airtight logical argument that the sun is where you need to fly into and the earth will be a better place for it yeah i, I think those are really good so if if you like these because i i really liked this x-men it's like miles ahead of anything we've read for x-men before and i really enjoyed it i like his artwork a lot um the writing is pretty fun though like it's pretty campy um yeah yeah i was just into it so i I don't want to go too much into these old issues but 56 through 59 if you liked these okay go back and read those other ones because i think they're also big like larry trask is kind of a big deal he sticks around for a while yeah, uh, right. And there's no, a bunch Trask, of plot stuff he, with He'll him. stick around a bit. Um, no, I, I think that's totally fair. I think if that's the... I mean, I obviously, I put the note in there because there's a run yeah, here. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying I'm to break it did. into a chunk. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the Sauron story, I guess for those who are less familiar, you have uh, you have this individual, Carl Lycos, and he is kind of this like... I don't know what the word would be. He's kind of like this 
weird doctor guy who has this terrible <laughs> secret, and the terrible <laughs> secret is he's a vampire dinosaur. Well, the, the, yeah, <laughs> where he can turn into one. I, I had read this before, and I remember just like laughing and thinking, like, God, this is so stupid. This is so dumb. I really liked it this time. I don't know what changed for me. I got way yeah. into him this time. So, like, his backstory is that he his father was a guide in Antarctica, and when he was rescuing some girl in a cave as a teenager from a pterodactyl attack, he got, like, I don't know, scratched by a pterodactyl or something, and that caused him to mutate into... <laughs> A pterodactyl man who has the power to, like, hypnotize via his eyes. Like, if you make eye contact with you, he can brainwash you. Mm -hmm. As well as, like, to turn into the pterodactyl, he needs to absorb people's powers. And mutants have tons of power that he can absorb. And it's very funny. Like, I I was way into it. I I also, I remember complaining, like, his name's Sauron? Like, you can't just take the name of a very popular, well-known villain and then just use it again. That would just be like, I'm writing a Marvel comic and... 2015 and my villain's name is Voldemort like but he he directly calls it out he's like I'm evil I'm so evil that there's only one name in all of literature that yeah. will like do me justice and it's Sauron from the fantasy series by J.R.R. Tolkien <laughs> <laughs> right yeah I, right. I really like and yeah that, that kind of work there's a lot of Lord of the Rings stuff um Black Knight's Pegasus that he rides is named Aragorn Mm-hmm. Too. It's kind of funny. Oh, that's these are all Roy Thomas things. So yeah, obviously yeah. Thomas, a, a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Sauron is one. I, I really love the way Neil Adams draws him. There's some really cool shots throughout these issues of, you know, this giant green vampiric pterodactyl. Um, one thing I thought was really cool was in issue 61. It's an issue called Monsters Also Weep, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> which is very similar to uh, Even an Android Can Cry. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. angels seeing monsters like so Sauron hypnotizes him and kind of gets angel like in this scared frightened state of seeing monsters and you actually get the origin of Sauron which they had delivered in issue 60 it's recapped but it's recapped in panels inside Sauron's wings it's just a really yeah. cool layout and a way to like sneak in the recap yeah you know it's like it doesn't slow down the issue it just looks cool yeah it's a two page spread with his wing across uh, extending across both pages and panels like laid over his wings with like four parts of his story. Super cool. Yeah, the, the art is like sometimes he gets a little too detailed and like I don't know detailed, but he puts too much shading in his pencil work sometimes. So things get well, a you little... put too much shade in that earlier recommendation of X Men issues, and I didn't call you on that. That's fair. I mean, you did say you're just going to ignore me. <laughs> oh, oh sure. um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I generally really like his stuff. I think like he could dial back on the like cross hatching a little bit. Cause sometimes yeah. it just gets like the pages are a little dirty looking and they're a little too, they get a little muddy. Um, but generally like it, it, he mixes this kind of realistic style, realistic style with these like very bombastic panel layouts that flow really well. Um, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed these. Also Carl Lycos, AKA Sauron has a really funny way of speaking. Um, <laughs> like he, so he's a doctor and he's left alone with havoc cyclops brother and it's like <laughs> he tells the nurse he wants to be alone with cyclops and he tells the nurse uh we're all done here nurse you can head home for the day and she's like doctor it's only 1 p.m it's not even that late and he's like oh it's late enough later than you suspect later than you could ever imagine <laughs> <laughs> and she's like oh 
okay, doctor. She's like, here's my resignation, and I will go home. Thank you. And then, and then later, um, the rest of the X Men are there to like retrieve their friend, and they're like, oh, well, how can we pay you? And he's like, oh, well, just send us a bill. And yes, my dear unsuspecting mutants, I'll send you the bill. But it shall be such a bill as no man has ever paid before. It shall be a bill to fulfill my wildest dreams and make real your most vivid nightmares. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, he did not I give mean, them the Which the is discount. also, I think, just a uh, commentary on crippling medical debt. Because that you mm-hmm. could just be talking about actual medical debt, and that's yeah, that's about right. Yeah, so, no, that's the core. That's the core <laughs> theme of these issues for sure. Yeah, um, we do also another character you talked about. Havoc is around for these issues. You also get Lorna Dane. It's a character we haven't really talked about, aka Polaris. Um, she's got cool green hair and magneto powers, and yeah. uh, and uh, Sauron vampires her at one point. So if you're confused, like, hey, who's that? Uh, that's Lorna. She's got magneto powers, and she's got kind of a budding love interest with Havoc. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, they kind of couple off real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Sauron, yeah, he's just a, he's a vampire who you look in his eyes and he hypnotizes you. I actually like that he tricks, quote unquote, tricks Angel into looking into his eyes by just saying, once you look into my eyes, you'll understand. And Angel just says, your eyes? Sure, I'll look into them. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, wait a minute, your eyes? Like, <laughs> all he has to do is just tell him to look at him. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll look into your eyes. Yeah, classic vampire ruse. Um, now, the way that Sauron essentially gets disposed of in this is he's got kind of a classic love interest situation going on in the background of all this. Um, he wants to kill his love interest's dad because the dad doesn't approve. Um, but Carl, like us, you know, so he's got this kind of Jekyll and Hyde thing going on where Sauron's the monster. He's the, you know, he's he's at least got a conscious conscience and uh, he jumps off of a mountain rather mm-hmm. than accidentally vampire his lady love. So... That is his self-sacrifice, uh, at least for the time being, um, and kind of puts an end to Sauron before the, the X-Men and crew move to a Savage Land tale. The, the scene with his lady love's father is very funny, where like he's talking about marrying this woman, and his, her father bursts in and says, like, you'll never marry him, and uh, he, you know, he's, he'll die a pauper, he says. <laughs> and uh, Carl Lycos is like, you're right. I could never marry you. The gap in our wealth is is too too extensive. And his father's like, "Hmm. I respect you more for understanding that." Which is like he reverts back like, "Maybe I will let you marry her if you understand that." And he's like, "Oh, great. Okay. Well, I'll need to to borrow some money for the wedding." And no, you can't marry her. You're too poor. <laughs> they just go back. He's like, "Oh, I totally understand." Oh, jeez, like, I forgot for life, a second. Our lifestyles yeah. don't match up. Well, yeah, maybe you could marry her. I do respect you. <laughs> I, this actually all plays out in front of the X-Men, which is really funny. It's one of those like Arrested Development jokes where like there's these three They're people the having corner. this big yeah. dramatic scene. Yeah, and then it just turns to, to see all of them watching. Yeah, um, yeah these are pretty good. Uh, we move into the Savage Land, which just like, I I don't know, I'm bored with the Savage Land. You're out on the Savage like, Land. Yeah, I didn't love these issues. I mean, the big so the big thing here... Yeah, let's do it quickly. The big thing here is... Um, the X Men discover Magneto's hiding in the Savage Land. Is and really what happens. He's you know he kind of portrays himself as somebody himself. else initially. Angel doesn't recognize him because he's not wearing his Magneto helmet. And uh, one of the things here that'll come up, you know, and, and something I recognize from the '90s animated series is Magneto's. Uh, he's experienced or experimenting with uh, developing mutates. So he's doing like genetic experiments on Savage Land locals and turning them into mutates like his little mutant people so you get like the forearms and the frog dude he's probably got a name 
<laughs> but these uh, are no, like wait, little uh, characters who show up here. I have a list because they're all amphibious, barbarous. Amphibious, so amphibious barbarous. Is, amphibious is a frog man. It's like we already have a toad. I don't know why you exist. Mm, toad doesn't um, look like frog though. I think barbarous has four arms. Brainchild, who has the... Mm. Brainchild always creeps got, me out. Yeah, he's really creepy. He's got the intellect. He's got like genius level intellect, but the emotions of a child. So he's kind of just a baby who's really smart. Um, and then the only thing that Brainchild does is at one point he throws a hammer at somebody, I think. And then Iceman knocks him out with a snowball. So, so much for being a genius baby. Um, <laughs> Equilibrious. I don't remember his deal. Gaza, Lupo, Piper. They're all really lame. None of, none of them are cool except the four-armed guy. I liked him. Piper just, uh, I don't know, pies, pipe, pied pipers, animals around. He pides pipes. <laughs> 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 sure. Uh, yeah, so Magneto, you know, he's pretending that he's helping mutants here, that it's kind of like his idea of Genosha, which I'll be, I'll be honest, I haven't bought into because that's something that I'm familiar with yeah. Magneto doing later. Yeah. But no, he's really just experimenting on the indigenous Savage Landers. Um, X-Men and the Kazar, the Kazar, uh, team up to take him mm-hmm. down. And he, in classic Marvel villain fashion, appears to die at the end of these issues. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, and Kazar, I, I bring this up in extra issues, but in case you're not reading that, um, Kazar is actually some guy named Kevin Plunder. <laughs> so, like, yeah. he's not actually a, this is already brought up, He's actually he, he comes from noble blood, I think he's, like, English or something, and he was abandoned as a kid in the Savage Land. So he has this, like, vast fortune back in civilization. But it's very Tarzan. Yeah, he lives his life out here. Like, so he he's actually been like to New York City a few times, and every time he shows up, you know, the press is all over him because he's this big famous rich man, and yeah, whatever. There's yeah. actually a really wild uh, late '90s series written by Mark Wade with art by Andy Kubert, uh, a Kazar solo series that mm-hmm. plays with this. Like, he comes back yeah. to New York and has this wealth, um, and then eventually he fights Thanos. So, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I think he comes Kazar in a Spider-Man be issue. I think there's a Spider-Man issue where he uh, comes to New York City and like. Everyone's freaked out by Zabu, his saber-toothed tiger. The saber-toothed tiger will do that. Oh, to speaking a of which, city. one of the the mutates that Magneto creates, Lupo, I think, just has a affinity with wolves. That's his whole thing. Is he just has mm-hmm. wolf friends? But there's a really good moment here where the uh, the X Men are breaking into the fortress that they're all the Savage Land mutates are hiding in, and it's just a big wooden wall. And I think Cyclops. Blast a hole in the side of the wall, and immediately wolves just start pouring out. <laughs> like <laughs> that wall is just full of wolves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good a good moment. I, I mean, that's that's not a problem you want to have. Like wolves in the walls, a, right? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, you don't you, you don't want to hear anything in your walls, but you really don't want to hear howling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when an exterminator comes out and you know cuts a little hole in the wall to to find out what's going on, and and then runs just, home. Doesn't even take his car. <laughs> and just a stream of wolves come pouring out. You're, I mean, that, that takes a long time to really, to really take I would, care of that. I would move. I would just move. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't like these Savage Land as much, but uh, X-Men's pretty interesting. I might I might read this for a little bit until it just gets canceled, right? Isn't it going to get canceled soon? Get, we're getting close. Yeah. Um, oh, oh yeah. wait. One, one, more, one more call out. Kazar says to... I can't remember... I think Iceman is antagonizing Kazar, mm-hmm. and uh, Kazar t- says to him, your thoughts are small, X-Men, like your forearms. <laughs> oh, that's such a good burn. Yeah. Is that really what he says? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a great line. Yeah, that's a good one. Man, 
I'm jealous yeah. I didn't catch that. Very good. <laughs> okay, cool. I got to start using that at the gym. All right. So the last issue on our our guide this week, yep. or however we do this, um, <laughs> this year. <laughs> is, is what is it called? A king size. I called it the Incredible Hulk annual, number one initially. But what's yeah, actually it, called King Marvel Size Unlimited. Hulk Special? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Marvel Unlimited's king size. Okay. This is a big old, as Zach told me, because I, I'm going to be honest here with you guys. I forgot to read no, this dang, one. Oh, God. No, don't tell them. I, okay. All right. Hang everyone on. forget he I said I read that. this Dave one is, thoroughly. Yes. Let's yes, yes, go. Yes. Hulk versus Inhumans. We Boom. Yeah. Let's kick it off. All right. So, Dave, how did this one play out? So, my Thanks. guess here, Bruce yeah, Banner mining his own beeswax when suddenly he's out like in the desert kind of walking mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he hears a boom mm-hmm. and he goes to check it out and lo and behold it's black bolt doing a power stance he is trying to communicate to gorgon that it's time to go home but gorgon thinks the power stance is actually telling him dance party he is stomping <laughs> around and smashing up the desert am i close you are i mean are you, you're reading the wikipedia page right I'm actually just staring at a picture of uh, the Marvel Fresh Start video that I'm editing for Comic Book Herald. I'm staring at your beautiful face oh, um, and a weather forecast for the day. Oh, okay. Uh, so the the Hulk is um, – just a second because this is very strange. I think – All right, I was. Hulk, no. The Hulk is, is in strange. South America, but like they, they kind of confuse. They, they forget that they said that Adelaide is in the Alps. <laughs> before because i think they they put it in south america for this issue i'm pretty sure adelan moves it's kind of its thing and this is um in adelan there's a bunch of inhumans that you have never seen before and will probably never see again i'm hoping um that have committed treason and they tried to overthrow black bolt and it's like falcona nebulo leonis Tiber- timberius mm-hmm. <laughs> timberius is very funny tim to me. space like, berius yeah, um, hello, my name is Timothy Berius, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm an inhuman. inhuman. <laughs> uh, I'm a tree man, I think. Is that... Oh, Timber. That's the joke. He's a tree man. Got it. Just gotcha. got it. Yep. Yeah, okay. Anyway, they're all... Uh, they get banished by Black Bolt for trying to throw, have a revolt or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Lockjaw takes them into this... I don't know. I can't remember. It zaps them away to wherever the Hulk is. And Lockjaw starts grappling with, the, or no, the Hulk starts grappling with Lockjaw, which is very frustrating. Like, no one should touch that sweet, beautiful dog um, Why with their big, nasty green hands. Why would the Hulk think he needs to, is the question I have. I think he thinks he's just being disrespected by the dog, because... I think that a lot. I have yeah. similar thoughts, often. <laughs> well, is it because you go, uh, hey, what are you doing here? And then the dog doesn't answer you, and you're like... I'm not going to stand for this disrespect. I think it's impolite. I think respond when spoken to, you know? Yeah, that's why, that's how I end up backhanding every pet I come across because they oh, don't answer no. my questions. Oh, no. Listen, we've been getting a lot of emails from PETA, <laughs> and we're only going to get more. <laughs> this, is, this is looking bad. Anyway, so all these inhumans... Let me be clear. No dogs were harmed in the in the making of My Marvelous Year. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a dog in front of me right now. I'm not going to backhand it right now. But... Doubling Once I stop recording. Doubling down on the monstrous <laughs> nature. Okay. So he, he wrestles with Lockjaw for a little bit. Um, Lockjaw vanishes. These Inhumans convince Hulk that they're his friend. 
and they use him to like break out of this jail cell, this barrier that in that Black Bolt has put around them, and they convince the Hulk to help them overthrow Black Bolt and help Maximus take over Adelan. That's kind of the whole thing. And at the end, Hulk realizes he's been used, and Black Bolt invites him to stay with them in Adelan, but uh, the Hulk kind of sulks off and says, you know, no one here really likes me, and that's kind of it. I actually, I would actually be pretty into a Hulk state in Adelan stretch. Yeah. Like, I I actually think that would be pretty interesting. I, I think he's got some unique dynamics that actually overlap with the inhuman struggle in a lot of ways. Like they both want to be left alone. It makes sense. It does. I've just yet to see a Hulk story that does anything interesting with these character traits, right? His whole like self pity, everyone hates and fears me. And like that, that's just it. There's not really that much more to it. Um, I mean, it's a little sad, like that they convinced him that they're, they're friends with him. (laughs) Um, because he gets really, really defensive and like loyal to his new friends until he realizes that they're using him. Yeah, the Hulk's definitely not. I mean, it's a it's a tra- tragedy through and through. Like it's mm. a it's just always ends with isolation <laughs> and despair. You know, if you really get to the core of like even like the TV series coming later in the seventies, like well, I mean, that's, that's it's the joke. image of the loner on the road. Like I have right. to keep going or I'll hurt yeah. people that I care about. Like it's it's never like good fun party times <laughs> yeah it's Hulk, not just at least it's not, not fun later. though it's like they, they just have not found a way to to even really make it that um i don't know give it any real pathos like i'm not i don't feel bad for the hulk i don't know like i have a hard <laughs> i don't connect with this character and i don't connect i think it's bruce because banner. i don't like i don't really care about bruce banner at this point yeah yeah they don't they don't differentiate it and they don't really like they don't have any kind of interesting dialogue underlining what he's going through yeah, no. Like Hulk, as opposed to the, I, I've always had a hard time with Hulk comics. I, you know, I challenged, I challenged the listeners to talk about um, what they like about Submariner comics, and we yeah. got, we got a good response. And uh, I'm going to challenge right here people who really like the Hulk comics from this era, maybe even leaning into the '70s a little as we keep going. What do you I like? I like about some Hulk later. As a character like, in these comics. I think in the '80s I start liking the Hulk. Like I've read '80s Hulk that I really like. So. Oh, same, same. But yeah. I'm saying before that point because yeah, I know there are yeah, fans. Yeah. Okay. Um, what what is it about it? Because I and maybe even like when he's on the defenders a little, when you get some more team dynamics. But mm-hmm. people who like solo Hulk, uh, I want to hear from you. Reach out to us at mymarvelousyear at gmail.com and we will uh, share your letter on a variant cover episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. Uh, speaking of which, if you want to get any variant cover episode, oh wait, no, we're not doing. Uh, I should make that clear. Um, so speaking of variant cover. The, instead of doing a variant cover for 1969 this year, we're going to be recapping all of 1960, uh, the 1960s, rather. And if you have any thoughts about just the entire decade overall, uh, please get that into us by tomorrow. Uh, yeah, so like this your, your read-through of this decade, those of you who've been playing <clears throat> along, first off, congrats, we did it. We got a yeah. decade down. That's yeah. awesome. We're super excited to... To move on to the next thing, but we're going to take a moment to reflect on what we've read. Um, if you have questions for us to talk about, about the experience, if you just want to share your thoughts, I think one question we're going to be looking at is like the value of the Silver Age read for the modern reader. So I think if you have thoughts on that, definitely that's going to play into what we want to talk about. Um, but yeah, I mean, even just what you liked, what you didn't, um, yeah. historical things that you think maybe we brushed over that are more Stuff we relevant. Missed. Stuff the club doesn't cover. 
stuff the club, yeah, issues the club doesn't cover. Um, the general experience of the My Marvelous Year Club and read and podcast, honestly, feedback, yeah, ideas, thoughts. Like, I, you know, we can't we can't do everything, but we'll listen and talk about them absolutely. So, yeah. So you have until tomorrow, June fourth, to get your responses in about the sixties in general. Is that right? June fourth. Yeah, yeah, June fourth. Summer two thousand nineteen. Man, yeah. You know, yeah. I was I was reading uh my nineteen sixties recap from the time we did the club in in two thousand sixteen. And uh, we were done in eight weeks. <laughs> God, I can't imagine. <laughs> it was imagine. such a fast pace. Oh, God. I, I can't imagine having to, like, I mean, the pace that we're going at now, sometimes, like, it's the end of the week, and I'm just, like, eating eating my grits, you know? Like, no, that sounds gross. That sounds like I'm eating my own testicles. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> Is it not? Okay. I was worried about, like, said that. eating your grits. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I devoured my own grits. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, let me take that again. <laughs> no, no, definitely leave that. No, it, it just like, yeah, it just feels like you're, you know, I, I gotta eat my vegetables at the end of the week by, yeah, by finishing yeah, off sometimes. these comics and with a little side, sometimes with a side of sawdust with with some of these comics, not all. Of them, yeah, no, but, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this, even if the comics don't get better, like just a little easier to read. Well, and I think. I think that's an, a topic that I'm we'll pretty talk interested about in discussing the and then we'll talk about is yeah. like, cause that's, it's one of the biggest barriers is people who are like, I'm going to read everything. And then feeling like, oh, this feels like a burden. Like this isn't yeah, fun it, anymore. It's work. And it's not the best way to do it. So no. I think that's why the My Marvelous Year Club, you know, we try to cut through some of that chaff with a curated list. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's even that is like, there's going to be stuff that's kind of like, you're not as into. And especially of for course. people who are like, yeah. when are we going to get to the, Civil War. <laughs> I want Deadpool. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, it's a it's a particular approach. Yeah, yeah. So um, June fourth, please get this into us. Please get this into us. I said, please get that into us. Thanks. Please get into us. We really need fans. Um, yeah, no. If you like the podcast, please rate and review on yes, iTunes or your podcast player of choice. Okay, that wait, 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 wait. wait. I, I need to. I just need to. I've listened to it too many times. For me not to say anything, you can't rate it on your podcast player of choice. I don't know what you're talking about. You could iTunes, iTunes are bust. Well, you could like write, you could like write down how you feel about the show. So like you're listening on Pocket whatever Cast, so. podcast player you use, and then uh-huh. you're just like, this one was five stars on a little post-it. But then take a picture of that and send it to mymarvelousyearatgmail.com so we know how you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a thing. It's encouraging. That sounds like something my grandmother would be like. If we got handwritten letters from your grandma about how good the podcast was, if she, that'd no, be great. It just sounds like she went to the Google App Store and went to her podcast player, and then she left a five-star review for the My Marvelous Year podcast on the podcast but, app. But, but, it's a, <laughs> but it's a post-it that she put on her phone. <laughs> <laughs> or she takes a she goes gets another camera and takes a picture mm-hmm. of her screen Prints mm-hmm. that out and then mails it to me. And mails it's, you the Polaroid, yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you are. The grandma of the show? <laughs> I can accept that. I'm fine. With that. The grandma and the daddy. The the, the big daddy. Thank you very much. Um, okay, cool. So if you yeah, if you like the show, please rate and review yeah, on please. iTunes only. Yes, and uh, if you like the music for the show, you can find more at Disaster Peace. That's D-I-S-A-S-T-E-R Peace. Uh, you can find Even better music the on Spotify, <laughs> Bandcamp, wherever music is played. Hey everyone, this is Zach coming in solo again. Uh, 
<laughs> just like last week, uh, I need to record the poll part separately because Dave and I forgot to put it in. Um, but to remind you, you've got about another day to vote in the poll for the best story of the 1960s. Uh, we have a lot of options here. They are The Origin of Doctor Doom from Fantastic Four Annual Number 2, Where Walks the Juggernaut, X-Men 12 and 13, The Search for Eternity from Strange Tales 130 to 141, If This Be My Destiny, The Amazing Spider-Man 31 through 33, The Coming of Galactus, Fantastic Four 48 through 50, This Man, This Monster, Fantastic Four 51, How Green Was My Goblin, The Amazing Spider-Man 39 through 40, Spider-Man No More, The Amazing Spider-Man number 50, and The Strange Death of Captain America from Captain America 111 and 113. If you want to vote in this year's poll, or this decade's poll, head over to patreon.com and uh, backers of any, any tier can vote in the poll. Thanks for your support. Um, you can find us on patreon.com slash year if you would like to support the show. We really appreciate all of our wonderful patrons. Um, I just had someone talking yesterday about, like, they just, they've been part of the Patreon for a while in the Slack, and they just started interacting yesterday, and they were just like, wow, I wish, like, I had done this a while ago. I wish there was a way of really expressing how much fun it is to be, like, chatting in this community before you get into it right like so that that was really mm. encouraging just hearing someone that's really nice lurk, yeah. lurking for a while and then they decide to interact and now they're just like so active and realizing like it it's really easy like everyone's really welcoming and uh we talk about all kinds of stuff in there and yeah it's been great i think the one thing i'll say is thanks for the support everyone and thanks for being good people <laughs> in the slack because the internet can oh, be yeah. a train wreck and i've seen almost no instances of of that in our slack community it's extremely welcoming and friendly and uh yeah check it out if you if you haven't already i've only really had to moderate some spoiler stuff but like that's some people spoilers from the 1970s not even like current spoilers i've had to be like well which is the weird which is the weird place we find ourselves in doing the read this way is like events that happened 20 years ago are spoilery for some people you know it's a 50 years it's a tricky dynamic we can talk about it some more yeah as needed but yeah yeah thanks a lot to everyone who's in there and uh come give it a shot if you haven't so far yeah so thanks everyone for listening um Again, we're going to be getting into the 60s recap. We want your feedback by June 4th. In the meantime, enjoy the comics, and we will see you next year. See you next year.